Hi there, I'm Ali Jones and you're listening to Where Did It All Go Right, a podcast where we talk to creatives about the pivotal moments in their career. Whatever you're up to, whether you're listening on a journey, exercising or just lounging on the sofa, we hope you enjoy this week's guest who is author Kieran Millwood Hargrave. Kieran is the Sunday Times best-selling author of The Girl of Incan Stars, The Merces, Julia and the Shark, The Dance Tree and Layla and the Blue Fox. We got to talk just before she was about to go on maternity leave and take a break from writing. So um, a year off, which sounds amazing, but I can see from the body of work you've done already that you, yeah, and what you've just told me that you, you, you love working, don't you? I do. I really do. And sometimes I have to remind myself of that because I'm someone who I don't work consistently the whole year through. Like I'll take I'll have months when I'm on, months when I'm off, if that makes sense. So when I'm off, it's easy to get into a pattern where it's like, oh, it's just so much easier not writing. (laughs) But actually, when I sit down and start again, I realise how much it feeds me and how much it's just now. And it it hasn't always been, but now it's such an integral part of me and what makes me happy and fulfilled. So I do, yeah, I really love working and I really want to build up a big body of work, like, um, I the restraint of someone like Donna Tartt, who I'm sure is fizzing with ideas, you know, to only write three books in like 30 years or whatever it is. That is so incredible to me because I just want to write and write and write. And just, you know, that means that not every book's going to be this work of staggering genius, but every work does reflect as best I can do at that moment. Do you um, find taking the time off, though, gives you a little bit more energy to come back? Genuinely, I can laugh about it now, but I fully burnt out um, in 2018, the year of burnout. Um, I wrote three books and one of them was The Mercies. And it did. The end of that year, I had a full on mental, physical breakdown and it took me about four months to feel anything like myself again you know I had to have therapy medication the whole the whole shebang so I learned my lesson quite early in my career that burnout is very real and that it's not something that you want to do so and I I guess you you know the warning signs now and yeah that's the good thing about having had depression for 15 years is, is you really get to know yourself and you have so much um opportunities for self reflection and you know, I've basically had therapy for basically all of that 15 years. So you do know yourself and you do know the signs. And it does ultimately, I think, make you a better creative um, because you know how to tap in and tap out. And I think that tapping out is really important. Mm. But also when you say that you're going to take some time off, I bet you probably won't be able to resist, you know, with a baby in the sling, just doing a little bit of dabbling, do you think? I'm hoping for a year where there's no pressure, basically. So that doesn't mean a year where I don't have an idea or touch my laptop. I can't imagine that I'll be able to go a year without those things, but I'm hoping they'll come because I want to, not because I have to. And that will be a very refreshing change as well. Do you think then you're somebody who puts yourself under quite a lot of pressure or are you learning that over time, talking about having therapy and (laughs) you're sort of learning, trying to take a step back? Uh, No pressure. I find pressure at the moment quite, valuable I enjoy a deadline I enjoy having high expectations for myself 
but I'm also quite good at being kind to myself. There's a flip side to that pressure um, that means I can I can remove it from myself. So when I need it, it's there. And when I don't, I can kind of dispense with it. And um, that's very valuable because pressure is great under the right circumstances. And and, and also, I guess, because I've read that you, you like writing in bed and in pubs. So that is a non-pressure environment. So putting yourself maybe in an environment that is quite, you know, you, you can see on the other side of the room of the pub, a group of friends having a chat. That's that I, that makes it less stressful. Yes. And, and this was more sort of pre-COVID and we've not quite got back into the habit, but partly because one of the friends who we used to do it with has had a baby. And so it's less flexible to sort of go and do those pub writing dates. And obviously my life will change as well. But um, it, that was such a nice, like communally writing, all of us individually focused on our projects, but just knowing that across the table, you've got two, sometimes three of your best friends who you really trust you can sort of ask their opinions um you know my first four five six books were written like that you know in that sort of communal atmosphere for somebody like me who's got no clue about how writers work is that quite unusual uh I think it probably is I think we were very lucky um to have those that time and to meet those people where the the alchemy is just right that where you can work together that there's nothing that grates on you about working with someone else you know one of them's my husband so that's kind of fair enough but but the other ones sometimes two people are, are two of my best friends and we're all writers and we all met on the same creative writing course and we sort of came up together um so yeah I think I think we are lucky there are now people I could still write with but that I don't think I'll ever capture that early magic of all of us in our early 20s just you know, working towards this goal of, of becoming published and, yeah. and then being published together. Well, what an amazing achievement, because I suppose my first one of my first questions is like so you, your first book, you get loads of people fighting over wanting to sell it. So how do you how do you achieve that? I know it, it looks so easy and I know there are so many people who sort of struggle. Um, and you you did the the creative writing course at Oxford and you went to Cambridge as well. But Getting that that first book deal, how do you do it? So I will take you to my first book deal, which was not the story of everyone <laughs> fighting over it, um, which was The Girl of Ink and Stars. Right. was my first book. And that got sent to 20 publishers and 19 said no. One of them said no when I was on the train to the meeting to meet them. And I got a last minute email saying, I'm really sorry, I just can't get the marketing team behind this. And it was like the worst most heartbreaking moment uh you know all dressed up and ready to meet and nowhere to go and nowhere to go so I just sort of sat on the train and cried and then my oh. poor husband came and got me from London and brought me home to Oxford <laughs> so that was that was bleak but then fast forward four years and contrast that with the mercies and from the moment I had the idea I knew that it was a good idea because I could not believe no one had written it already. So I learned about the Vajra witch trials, which were these awfully horrific witch trials, very bloody, that took place in Norway in um, the 1600s. And I read about them because a memorial had been built um, involving some work from one of my favourite artists, Louise Bourgeois. Um, as a, and basically the whole thing started because three years before the first woman was burned at the stake, um, a storm killed most of the island's men while they were out fishing on Christmas Eve. 
And I remember having fallen down this Wikipedia rabbit hole, reading that, you know, it was Christmas Eve and just getting these goosebumps and thinking that is an opening, you know, a storm, this huge visual eruption and interruption into these women's lives. And then three years later, this horrifically violent, misogynistic witch hunt, you know, what happened in the three years between? And the great thing was no one really knew. Um, and so that was my opportunity so I knew that it was a good idea if I could pull it off and my lovely agent Helly who was just back from maternity leave loved the idea as well and said can you write it in time for London Book Fair which was three months away so um, (laughs) over the course of a very fraught six weeks um, I wrote the first draft and then we polished it for the rest of the time and I would write linear which luckily I do anyway I'd write in a linear way send it to her she'd edit it overnight while doing night feeds and then in the morning she'd have sent me the edited document I'd make those changes and carry on writing so it was a proper relay a proper team effort (laughs) would you recommend that way of working six weeks Uh, wham bam No, no, hence fast forward 12 months, complete mental breakdown. (laughs) But it was an incredible, I think that intensity does communicate, you know, I think it does is communicated in the book. Hmm. um, And it kind of needed to come out that way. Did you you just have this feeling then with that book that you thought it's gonna, it's gonna do well? It's well, not you can never predict that it's going to do well, but I knew it was a good story. Hmm. And, you know, if you find the right publisher, and you have the luck of the market and you have the right amount of people reading and on your side, it there can there can be success. But obviously there's not a there's not a magic potion, otherwise I would do that every time. But I knew that it was a special story. And when we did send it out, the reception was completely different from anything I'd ever experienced before. Um, people weren't rejecting it. You weren't on a train with nowhere to I go. I was on a train crying. Well, I was on a train crying, but it was with delight. Um, so it was, but it was overwhelming in its own way. You know, I'd never had multiple people interested in my books before. And the feeling of going to pitch meetings and feeling that passion and then having to say no became a different sort of heartbreak um, mm. because you'd become attached to the vision that the editors and the teams that put so much work into those pitches they had for the book and obviously it's a business and you can't be too soft about these things but you're a writer so you're incredibly soft about these things um, so I cried rejecting the second offer that we we didn't take and then because we got it down to two one of which was Picador and when I we came to say no, we're, we're definitely going with Picador, and we had to say no to this other publisher. I cried, and Tom, my husband, was like, "This is ridiculous! You've just signed the biggest deal of your career." And I'm like, "I know, but the pressure." Oh, saying, yeah. yeah, it's this whole process is just too emotional. My goodness, it's incredible. What did your family say? What about your mum and dad? Because they've they've backed you, haven't they, all the way? They really have. They really uh, extraordinary support from my parents. Um, my dad was the the first. Well, he, I think he was delighted when I said, I think I want to do a creative writing degree. And then my mum was slightly more like, why are you doing this career that is so difficult and so full of rejection? And, you know, why aren't you doing law or something that you know that you could, you know, progress in, in a steady way? Um, but, but you know, she's now the person who reads all my books other than my husband first and, um, it wasn't that she wasn't supportive, she was just worried for me. Yeah. But my dad's response to the um, 
when I when I came back with the first offer that we'd got he was like well you have to hold out for x amount and I just remember being (laughs) furious at him I was like dad do you understand what this means like this is huge for me and my career and he was just like more you need more (laughs) (laughs) so did did you follow his advice um I didn't but we did get to that amount so he was fine <laughs> and, and your childhood was full of full of traveling and full of books as well um and and I know that has really inspired your writing traveling all over the place because things like the Merses, you have to go there I suppose and you have to do so much research it's just so all-encompassing but it's fantastic that how what, what you did as a child as kind of you know reading books and going all over the place is really inform what you're doing now such a privileged childhood you know a privileged happy childhood um where we did we traveled uh, so we the place we went most was india because that's where my mom's family is and and that's um you know very much a part of my life and my culture and but also you know we we went to china we went to jordan we went to um all these extraordinary places and always always my parents would get us involved in the stories of the, that place so um we would be given you know those graphic I don't know if they we used to get them in India a lot these graphic novels of like the myths of the place and and we'd we'd learn about history we're a big family of like history geeks and we were just really lucky that as a family we we share common interests um and we are all big readers and which is no guarantee obviously Mm. and and that storytelling oral storytelling as well you know my dad would read aloud Beowulf to us on holiday like we went through all the different versions Seamus Heaney was our favorite and I remember just being terrified and even now when we we the most recent family holiday we went on was to Costa Rica which was before the pandemic and my dad sort of just we just sat down and he just read us the wasteland and it's just like that's just normal but I do recognize the enormous strangeness and and <laughs> extraordinariness of of having a family that that is you know in love with words and mm. in love with with the process of storytelling and so that you know that especially that oral culture and the fact that I believe stories are made to be shared and I think that's something that that I came from with my children's writing obviously that's a key tenant of writing for children is you want parents to read to their children as long as possible really so all my stories I read aloud and and check the mouth feel of them I think there's something about coming from poetry as well that that has fed into that but yeah my childhood you know even though I didn't know I wanted to be a writer until I was 21 years old my childhood absolutely set me up to become one yeah um, it was kind of this. it was building inside you you didn't know it at the time exactly yeah <laughs> which is fantastic and and loving books like um his dark materials yeah. now living in oxford have you met yeah. philip pullman that must I, have. Have. <laughs> I bet you i bet that was amazing when you go just like could oh, you speak? it was really the first time was quite embarrassing i was hosting the launch of his first book of dust book with um with this wonderful man called will from um waterstones um because we'd done a basically a fan boy fangirl blog rereading the trilogy in preparation for la belle sauvage um, and then we were asked by the publisher if we'd like to host the the launch. So, of course, that was like a dream come true. <laughs> and it happened in the um, hall where I got married. And I 
like remember saying to Philip Pullman, I was like, I got married in this room and this is definitely the more exciting moment. <laughs> I hope your husband was nowhere near. <laughs> no, he wasn't invited. It was a very exclusive guest list. Uh, <laughs> but that was wonderful. And I um, got to meet his wonderful wife, Jude. And yeah, it was it was a real moment for me. That meeting him and meeting Mallory Blackman were the two authors so far where I've just felt... I can't believe this is my life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually getting paid for this and yeah, exactly. I'm loving it as well. And, and, and being at Cambridge as well, I guess you must have met so many creative people being in Footlights and living and working with creative people is, is really inspiring. And we mustn't forget talking about your husband soon, but um, being at Cambridge, you must have been inspired too. Yeah, I, Cambridge is a bit of a weird one for me because I was incredibly depressed <laughs> when I was there. <laughs> and and it's so much of it and it's amazing what the brain does you know to shield you so much of it is a blank which is a real shame because you know it's I met my husband in my first year and I did an an enormous amount of plays um and and stand up and things like that and did meet some extraordinary people but to be honest I always felt a bit outside of the creative scene I didn't feel like I was really in with the comedians I didn't feel like I was really in with the actors um but I found my own people and and actually the people who I've really clung to from Cambridge well apart from my husband is um you know historians and <laughs> and things like that so there's lots of different types of creatives but I wasn't someone who was in with the crowd that's so interesting I think partly because I didn't know myself and yeah. was also spending a lot of time in bed watching America's Next Top Model because oh, I know. couldn't face the outside world um so it wasn't like I had this glorious Cambridge experience unfortunately but I got what I needed from mm. it and um I feel very lucky for that I interviewed um, Paul Mayhew Archer who wrote The Vicar of Dibley he went to Cambridge but he was oh, a bit yeah. like um I didn't fit in with anyone like Footlights and I he kind of formed a little clique with Andy Hamilton and you know that led to oh, some brilliant stuff. <laughs> yeah, so you're not the first person to say that. So that's that's really interesting. And you know, I'm so glad that you know you f you feel really grateful for being there, but it was not maybe you're honest about it wasn't quite what, you know, the whole I say dreaming spies we're in Oxford aren't we um but it wasn't that yeah. whole that whole image that a lot of people because sometimes going to university isn't as good as it you know you think it's going to be. But yeah. you got through it. I think that's the main thing, isn't it? Just getting getting through those three years. Definitely. And and got through it and realised my own resilience. And yeah, I it, it was a touch and go as to whether I would even stay for the whole three years or whether I needed to take some time. Mm. But I'm really glad that I did push through because things wouldn't have ended up as they have. And and I can't imagine being in a better place now. So yeah. ultimately, everything's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, and you talked about being a poet and being a playwright as well. Do you sort of oscillate between the three and some days think, oh, I'm more of a poet today? <laughs> I, I wish. I Poetry is such a different state of being for me. And I just find it impossible to switch between them. Um, it's I need to be so much softer, so much stiller. And it's not something I've felt truly in touch with for many years now, but it's definitely something that's there mm. and something that I will ultimately return to. And such a precious part of, of my brain and myself. Um, but I'm not someone who can sort of pick it up and put it down at, at will. Um, I, and maybe, maybe motherhood will be that moment where just the 
extreme exhaustion transports me into that <laughs> otherworldly plane. Um, and certainly because I unfortunately experienced recurrent loss um, before we became pregnant with this current pregnancy. And I actually wrote quite a lot of poetry about that. So maybe I needed that extreme of emotion to get tapped back into that and know I could still do it. Mm. But it's there sort of waiting for me, which is a nice feeling. I know at some stage I will write another maybe collection of poetry, maybe just one poem. That would be a triumph. So yeah. um we'll see. It's in the it's in the background waiting. <laughs> it is. And and you talked about baby loss and I know that you um raise awareness of that and use your social media platform to talk about some quite difficult subjects um <laughs> if you go way back you it's about 2019 you talked about being raped and and, and, the, and also petals you're well involved in with for the baby loss charity as well aren't yes. you um you must have a lot of feedback about being so honest yeah and mostly great i think the main negative feedback is from people who know and love me and worry that it's you know i'm overly exposing myself but i think because I've come at it from places of heal when I'm healed or or very much on my way to healing it's not like people are getting that raw unfiltered experience it's you know for example when I talked about my rape it was through the medium of an article that I'd written um about a letter that I wrote to my my rapist um and you know it's something that still miraculous to me that I can talk about and not sort of <laughs> break down and that's wonderful because I think you know for those first however many years you just feel like this is something I'm never ever going to be able to live with mm. and you do um you know you you can and you will and and it's this it's similar you know the depression was then caused by that assault um and it's similar with with healing from mental ill health um or or indeed the trauma of vape recurrent baby loss um you know all these things are awful but they have changed me and they are now a part of me and I carry them with me in in good and bad ways and the good outweighs the bad mm. so that's not me saying everything happens for a reason like I'm great like obviously I wish I was living a life where I hadn't experienced any of those things but I have and I'm fine you know more than fine I'm happy and content and and feel incredibly lucky to be able to say that and then that's why I share it on social media um because unfortunately all, all the things I've experienced are incredibly common yeah <laughs> um and they're and not, and not who, talked about really and not talked about you know shrouded in in shame and and guilt and and mystery and and I genuinely think silence is one of the most dangerous things um, around anything difficult. I think the more we can speak things, the more it's brought to the light and the more light we can shine on things, just the less alone people feel. And we create language for talking about these things that isn't victim blaming or whatever and empowering. Um, so, yeah, I think it is if you're able, I think it's actually a quite important thing to do as well as quite a healing thing for yourself yeah well you, and, and as well as talking about what we've just spoken about you've also been quite honest about um how much writers earn and because it's a sort of shrouded in secrecy isn't it as well yeah and and i'm sure you've helped so many people with what we've just talked about but also in trying to think well actually it's not all millions and millions of pounds it's it's a hard old slog and you know when you see how much work you put into books like the mercies um 
you know, if you worked out what it what the pay is per hour, it's not. I'm, I'm put, no, sorry, I don't. <laughs> let's not mention that. But it's you know, it's not as it's not J.K. Rowling world, is it for everybody? Obviously, no, obviously, and it's you know, I just think I I'm one of the incredibly lucky ones so far in my career. I'll be even more lucky to continue to be so lucky for the duration of my career. And I, you know, there are still so many boundaries and stumbling blocks. And one of the the simplest and saddest is people just can't afford to take the time to write. Um, and we are losing so many extraordinary stories. And there, you know, there are fundamental issues, industry side and wide issues that could be resolved. And that's what's infuriating is it, it does feel slightly like you know, the business side, there is a lack of will to adjust, to address some of the fairness things. And plenty of publishers are willing to do lip service to things like diversity. But actually putting those structural changes in place is really hard. And mm. the only publisher, I mean, I'm really proud of being um, a part of Hachette, um, who do put their money where their mouth is in terms of diversity. But, you know, in terms of a business model, the only publisher I can think of that's really doing Walking the Walk is Nights Of, which is the children's publisher. And they have had the most incredible success whilst paying, you know, decent wages to their staff, you know, paying decent advances to their authors and getting decent book, you know, um, agreements with with retailers. Mm -hmm. So. It, you know the nuts and bolts of it need to change it's not just you know people wanting there in some abstract way there are things that literally need to happen mm -hmm. in the industry to make it more inclusive and to make sure we're not losing some really excellent writers yeah and what's it like working well living with another creative i.e your husband because it's Often um, in, in in marriages, sometimes you've got like the, the stable partner and the <laughs> non-stable partner, um, but that's quite brave, both of you. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, two freelancers. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I remember when, because I before I met Tom, I'd never met someone who worked full time in a creative career. Um, so he's a he's a started out as a painter. He now writes as well, and. I did not know it was possible. So, you know, he made me realize it was possible. Uh, so there's there's that to thank him for. And then I suppose that we we joked early on in our career, we're either going to be living in a garret or living in a castle, <laughs> as it is we're living in the suburbs and feeling quite happy about that. But you know, it's it's we are we are, you know, muddling through and and are incredibly fulfilled in our in our careers and we talk you know there's we don't have the same switch off from work but neither of us mind because it's you know it's talking about ideas and what we're passionate about and and that has spilled into collaboration and now we are making books together that he does the art for and I do the the words for and it just feels wonderful to work with the person I love trust and admire the most you know we we get to have this life together where we get to explore in a really meaningful way you know what matters to us and and think about 
um, you know, to spend all day just thinking about an Arctic fox crossing, <laughs> crossing the Arctic Circle. And, you know, what a enormous privilege it is to share your life with someone who you feel not only gets you, but also is growing very much with you. And, you know, that you're having as much of an impact on the way they think and feel as they do on you. You recommend you recommend working with your husband. It works I, for you. You do. It work. It works for us. And obviously, <laughs> like everyone's different. And I remember during a particularly bad patch when my depression was particularly bad, I was like, "Who's Sylvia Plath and who's Ted Hughes in this relationship?" And he was like, "I think you're both." <laughs> <laughs> so, um, um, it you know, it's not. We've had our moments, and obviously, I you know that financial uncertainty is not the easiest and it's something we thought about hard before we started trying for a baby and but you know we've just been lucky and and if we're not going to capitalize on that luck then then what's it for so Mm -hmm. um yeah we're at the moment things are just joyous and they have been for 13 years to be honest it's sickening (laughs) when I think about it but we are incredibly happy so enjoy it don't feel embarrassed or ashamed about it it's it's fantastic so if we were to look back on on pivotal moments in your career when we've talked about from the very beginning wasn't it with your dad reading uh Beowulf and uh you're sitting around and having books inside you and even if you didn't know you wanted to do it but then also having that fantastic idea and no one else had done it so you know why not what what other pivotal moments do you think have got you to to your happy place now I know I keep mentioning him and I hate crediting a man with a woman's like anything, but like meeting my husband and and realizing that you could be a creator, that was a pivotal moment. And he bought me early in our career, he bought me the entire T.S. Eliot shortlist. And I just suddenly came alive and awake to contemporary poetry. And that was a real moment. I think the first book that year, I think it was Fiona Sampson, Pascal Petit, John Burnside, um, maybe Robin Robertson, but but just complete bangers like all of them. <laughs> and and I remember the first book from the shortlist I read was um was John Burnside's and just being like, oh, okay, this this is a world I want in on. Um so there was that. There was the there was the moment when I won the Warstones Children's Book Prize because up until then, I'd had zero, in a really nice way, zero expectation of myself or my books. Um, so I just published The Girl of Inking Stars by then. I'd also written my second book, The Island at the End of Everything. And I was very happy with how everything was going. I went to that ceremony not expecting a thing. And how lovely to go somewhere not expecting a thing and the best possible thing happening. Yeah. And you only have that sort of innocence once, I think. <laughs> Um, because once you cross that line you're like, I might do it again <laughs> yeah exactly once you cross that line you're like well I'm an award winner <laughs> so, and you know so that complete shock will stay with me a very long time you know like I hadn't painted my nails I hadn't brushed my hair I was going around getting everyone else to sign their books for me um, my parents weren't there because like nothing was gonna happen yeah. um, and just that whole evening was just incredible and and also upped my ambition which is no bad thing um so, so every that. every award ceremony don't paint your nails 
don't do your hair. Yeah. It's like your lucky yeah. charm now. So w- winning that award was was pivotal as well. And, and yeah, you talked about your husband. Yeah, th- th- those 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 were the big moments that have got got you to well. I, I mean, I wanted to say what's next, but I know that there's there's a baby coming. So things you know might be slightly different for a bit. But what you've got other books that you've got this book to finish. You said. Yes. Yeah, so I'm writing currently the second book in a trilogy. Uh, so the trilogy That's hasn't been announced move. yet. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> you know you've got to do another one afterwards. No, I know. I I, I was aiming to write them all before they arrived, but it's not going to happen, and that's fine. <laughs> no. um, so, but like, the first one's ready, going to copy edit. Um, I've got a meeting about the the whole plan, so I'll be able to announce it soon. Um, oh, what exciting. that is. I've got two more books planned for Picador, and they're very much alive in my head. So, you know, the writing's there for me, and I'm hoping that I really allow myself this important pause to just enjoy this thing that I've wanted, you know, for three years and is finally happening for us. And, you know, I'm very excited to be a mother. I Having seen the effect that motherhood has had on some of my favourite writers, you know, we're so far beyond that myth of the pram in the hallway. Yeah. Um, and just excited for how it's going to enrich and change me as a, as a writer, as well as as a person. Um, so I'm hoping I can make the most of it and 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 maintain that gratitude when I'm exhausted and <laughs> unwashed and <laughs> would give anything for my old life. Back. Well, it, so- it sounds like you know what's coming. I think that's the oh, great yeah. thing. Yeah, I think I a lot of people. About it. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people. It's a complete shock. So, um, and you know, for somebody who's got little older ones now, different challenges yeah. when they're older, but. Yeah the sleep you know I still get disturbed a bit by a 12 year old but um you know that that all changes and you know I'm really excited for for what's coming next for you and I also thank you for being so honest about you know it's not all perfect for some nope. of the struggles that you've had and wow you know you've you've been through a lot but the fact that you're you're smiling and you're so excited for the future I think is really really inspiring so so thank you so much for, for sharing your story thank you for having me it's been really nice to talk Thank you, Kieran. And if writing and reading is your thing, we've got some great interviews with other writers, including Suzanne Heathcote, writer of Killing Eve, Oliver Holt, chief sports writer of The Mail on Sunday, authors Joe Cottrell and Claire McIntosh, writer and economist Tim Harford, and author Kit Duval. Thanks so much for listening, and do rate us if you can, and follow us on Twitter at WhereGoWrite. Thanks to the brilliant Megan Brownrigg for producing, and see you next week. <laughs>